If you asked people how they became Christians here in Louis Tricart, what answers would you receive? If you asked a dozen people, how did you, how, how did you become a Christian? What would they tell you? I know because I've asked many, many, many. Not just here, but I can say now all around the world. I've been to, I think, a dozen countries on four continents, five continents. And I've asked many people that question. And the answer to that question is one of the most important tests for true Christianity, for biblical Christianity, for acceptance in the Christian church. That is, how do we know who to accept in the church? And one of the answers to how we accept people in the church is, we ask them a question. How did you become a Christian? And then they give an answer. But we do not live in a postmodern reality, even though our world wants to be postmodern. Do you know what the word postmodern means? How many of you have ever heard the word postmodern? You heard that? How many of you feel like you could define it? You could tell me what postmodern means. Let me help you. Very simple. Postmodern is the spirit that says there is no absolute truth. You can have your own truth and I can have my own truth. And we can both be right. You can have your way to heaven, I can have my way to heaven, and they can both be correct at the same time. One person has his way, you have your way. So absolute truth is not very important. In other words, relativism. Postmodernism <clears throat> grew in the 1980s with the growth of relativism, and it's everywhere today, so that if you ask a person, are you a Christian, they'll give you different answers. But there is a right answer, and there is a wrong answer to the question of, are you a Christian? How did you become a Christian? So let me ask you this. If you were the pastor of a church, how would you decide the people that you're going to baptize? On what basis would you say, I'll baptize him, but not him. I'll baptize her, but not her. Or do you say, I'll baptize everyone. On what basis would you include them in the Lord's table? Or would you say, I will include everyone? Or, which ones are you going to watch? And which ones are you not watching? Some people have come to this church and left. And they haven't been here for a year. But Hebrews 13, says, Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Pastors must watch over the souls. Can I watch over the soul of a man who has not been here for a year? Should I be watching over his soul? 
The answer to the question, how did you become a Christian, tells the pastor what to do. Because many people do not have a biblical testimony because they do not have a biblical conversion. Three hundred and fifty years ago, from within the walls of a jail in England, a man who had not finished his matric certificate, with only a Bible and possibly a dictionary, wrote this book, The Pilgrim's Progress. This book... I purchased all the copies in the country, at least in Augustine and Good Neighbor. But I, they, may, they may get new stock in. If you want, I'll get you a copy. This book has been translated into more languages than any other book in the world except for the Bible. And it even surpasses the Quran. As far as how many, transla- how many languages it's been translated into. This book has been published and more copies printed than any book in the world, according to the publishing statistics I've read, than any book in the world except the Christian Bible. And this book tells a very simple story. It's simple in one sense, but in another sense, it's complex. If I could have my ushers help me. If you could give out a map of the book. And your map has two sides to it. One is the story of the pilgrim's progress. And the other is one chapter within the pilgrim's progress. As you listen to this story, I'd like you to ask yourself a question. Is his story mine? Could you please turn on the light in the back? Is his story mine? I'm going to tell you this man's story. And in the chapter that John Bunyan wrote, he included 37 scripture references. I'm also going to include many references. You can write them on the paper, on the map here, or just follow through in your Bible. But I want to show you what happened in the story. If you've got the map in front of you, the side marked Pilgrim's Progress. You'll see in the far left, the bottom left... And after seeing this picture, I hope no one will ever say Baptists don't love art. If you look in the bottom left, you'll see a town. That's the town of destruction. The town where everyone is born. That's the world. And then you see a road moving from the town on the left, moving across the the map to the right. Where does that road end where's the end of the road it ends in hell that's right Cameron all the world is moving that way 
And maybe it will help you to look on this picture and realize we have this idea that some people are saved and some are lost. You should start with the biblical view. Everyone is lost. Everyone. The world is going to hell. That's the story. But then if you'll notice, around the corner, not easily visible, you have to have your eyes opened. Around the corner is a narrow gate. Over that gate is the cross. The story of the Pilgrim's Progress is this man leaving the city of destruction and walking until he gets to the gate. He enters the gate and then he perseveres on the long, difficult road the whole way to heaven. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible, or most memorable verses. Matthew 7, verse 13, enter at the straight gate, at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who are going in there. Verse 14, because the gate is small. And the way is narrow. If you have an ESV, it says the way is hard. Which leads to life, and there are few who go in there. Do you see Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 is the story of Pilgrim's Progress? It's the story right there. So Christian... Walks on the road. It's a hard road to find. It's a hard road to enter. And it's a hard road to continue. And as Christian is walking on that road. He meets a friend. His friend's name is Hopeful. Hopeful. Hopeful and Christian walk on together. Until at one point Christian feels very sleepy. Hopeful is, and Christian both want to lay down and sleep. And instead, Christian says to Hopeful, in order so that we will not fall asleep, Hopeful, can you tell me how you entered the gate? And in chapter 15, well, the original book has no chapters, but these books that are made into chapters help, these editions. In in chapter 15, Hopeful tells his story of his testimony. That's on the back of the paper. That's the second map. I want to just read that chapter or large parts of that chapter for you this morning. I'm going to read the chapter and pause and explain it with Bible verses. So you can mark those right on the map as we're going through. And there are roughly eight sections or eight stages That Hopeful went through in his conversion. Let's see those eight stages. First of all, Christian says to him, Tell me your story. 
Hopeful says, For a long time, I lived in the town, delighting only in the things that are seen. Notice that. Hopeful is just like everyone else in Louis Tricart. He loves what he can see. His eyes are his guide, and money is his God. So then, Christian says, what happened to you? And he says, but I heard from you. Hopeful says, you told me. That's number one on your map. Evangelism. Every true conversion story begins with this. Someone spoke to me. Someone talked to me. Someone wrote a letter. Someone gave me a Bible. I heard. I heard from you that the end of my road was death. Does that make sense? Evangelism begins with very bad news. And you do not have a biblical testimony if it does not start with this. There was a day when I was headed to hell. So the testimony that says this, I have always been a Christian, that's wrong on the first point. He says, I was told that I was in trouble. Step number two, on your map it says, awakening. And Hopeful says, I wasn't immediately willing to admit the evil of my sin or to acknowledge that I must go to hell. When my mind began to be shaken by the word, I tried to shut my eyes to the light. I call that awakening. Hopeful heard the message and now he's awakened. He's he's thinking about these things. What happens then? Hopeful, what brought your sins to your mind? Hopeful says, whenever I met a true Christian in the street, or if I heard anything read from the Bible, or if I heard the bell ring for someone who was dead, or if I thought of dying myself, but especially when I thought of facing the judgment very soon. So Hopeful is awakened. His mind is startled. He's thinking, but he's not a Christian. What happens next? That's what Christian asks. Well, what did you do then? Asked Christian. Here's Hopeful's response. What do you think Hopeful would say? Hopeful is afraid. He's heard that he's going to go to hell. Well, what do you think he's going to say? Listen to the answer. What did you do next? I thought I must make every effort to change my ways or else I would surely be lost in hell. I wrote down number three, good works. Now it says, (laughs) excuse me, 
I left my sins and my sinful friends. I began to perform religious duties such as praying, reading my Bible, weeping over my sin, and talking to my friends about the truth. I did these and many other things. Is he even a Christian yet? No. But is he doing good works? Yes. He's going to church. He's reading his Bible. He's praying. He's weeping over his sin. He's talking to other people. But he is not born again. This goes on for a while. Christian asks, did you feel good about yourself? Hopeful says, yes, I began to feel very good about myself. But my burden came back. That's number four on the map. Number four, my burden came back. Christian asks, what brought your burden back? And what brought your conviction? Hopeful, there were several things that brought it back. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 64 verse 6. All your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Did you hear that? All of your good things are like filthy rags. And we need to, we need to see this, that the Hebrew word for filthy rags means rags that are ruined because they've been soiled with something from the body. Perhaps a wound. Perhaps some open sore was bound up with them. Today those are called hazardous materials in the hospitals. Hospitals have trash cans for hazardous materials. That's the rags right here. In Isaiah 64 verse 6. All of the good things you do. The good things you do to try to make yourself acceptable to God. Are like those filthy rags. In Philippians 3 verse 7, Paul calls them dung, excrement, waste. I heard a preacher say one time, <clears throat> when someone knocked on his door and said, I want you to come to my church, the man said, what do you teach at your church? And he found out they were from the Mormon religion. In the Mormon religion, you become right with God by doing good works. And the pastor said, I told the man at my door, look out on my lawn, out on my grass. My dog made a mess out there. What you're doing is as good as that. Men do not like to hear that, do they? You're coming to church and you think, ah, see, I'm coming to church. Go find your dog's mess. Hopeful says, it came to my mind that my good works were no better than that. He gives another verse. This one might strike you. Luke 17, verse 10. When we have done 
everything, we should say we are unprofitable servants. We have only done what was our duty to do. Luke 17, 10. If you think that by your good works, you can please God, just remember the words of Jesus Christ in Luke 17, verse 10. When you have done everything, when you've fasted and prayed and given 10,000 rand, when you've, when you've gone without sleep, when you've told your neighbors, when you've gone on evangelism, when you've read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, when you've written a book about Christianity, you just remember, you are an unprofitable servant. You've barely even begun to do your duty. Hopeful says, three things happened to me when I began to reform. And this is what brought the conviction. Number one, I looked at my good works and thought, they're not enough. Number two, he says, I began to remember that even though I'm doing good works now, I've done many sins in the past. And Hopeful says, number three, this is most interesting. Another thing troubled me. If I looked carefully at even the best of my good works, I could still see sin. New sin mixing in and dirtying, tainting the good in me. Whenever you begin to go to church, why are you going to church to make the pastor happy? If I don't go, Seth is going to call me. If I don't go, someone's going to talk to me. If I do go, someone will think, oh, what a good man I am. Oh, I'm going to go so that people will think I'm a good person. I'm going to go so that my children will like me. I'm going to go because if I don't go, you know what my wife or my husband, my children are going to say. How many times do we do something out of self-righteousness? Martin Luther said, self-righteousness is so evil, it needs to be hit in every sermon. So consider this my chance to hit your self-righteousness and my own Hopeful says, even when I did good works, I had to look and see how filthy they were. Think of your own prayers. How many times have you begun praying and you fall asleep? Is that worthy of God? Charles Spurgeon said, how many times are our prayers prayerless? Even our confessions need to be confessed. We need to repent that we're not repenting. And even when we pray, oh, I'm giving my prayer. Your prayers aren't worthy of God, which is why the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 verse 26, has to translate your prayers or else he'll never listen to them. Even the best things we offer are too sinful. That's the stage of conviction. <clears throat> so Hopeful says, I could now recognize, listen to this. This is when you know true conviction has happened. Hopeful says, I could now recognize that I was presently committing enough sin in one day to send me to hell, even if I had never before sinned in my life. Christian asks, and what did you do then? Do? I didn't know what to do. I poured out my heart to my friend, Christian and faithful. 
And they told me, if I could not obtain the righteousness of a man who had never sinned, then neither my own righteousness nor all the righteousness in the entire world could save me. Is that your testimony? Have you ever come to the point where you realized, if I cannot get the righteousness of a perfect man, then if you add up all the righteousness in all the world together, it will not be enough to save me. Is that your testimony? Now we're at number five. Gospel. Christian says, did you think that he was telling you the truth? Hopeful says, if he had told me this when I was pleased with myself, I would have called him a fool. But now that I could see my own sin, I was forced to accept his opinion. Christian asks, but when he first told you this, did you think that a person even existed of whom it could be said that he had never committed a sin? Hopeful. At first, these words sounded strange, but then he convinced me. Did you ask him who this man could be? Hopeful. Yes, and he told me it was the Lord Jesus. And then Hopeful goes on to say the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian told Hopeful that he was lost, but Christ died for sinners. That Christ took the place of sinners. And that he was willing to give all of his righteousness to sinners. That's number five on the chart. That's 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own body bore who bore in his own body our sins on the tree, so that we, though we were dead, should be made alive. Revelation 1 verse 5, He freed us from our sins with his own blood. Hopeful sees the gospel. He sees the truth. So then Christian asks him, What did you do then? That's number six. What did you do then, hopeful? What do you think he would say? If you've gone through this, he's been evangelized. He's waking up. He tried to do good works, but they don't help. So then from good works, he says, what can I do? What can I do? He turns from his good works... He's under deep conviction. He hears the gospel. What would you say is the next step? It's on your chart there. Number six. What did faithful say to you? He told me to go to this man and see prayer. He told me to go and ask the father with all my heart and soul to reveal Christ to me. <clears throat> Christian, did you do as you were told? Hopeful, yes, over and over and over again I prayed. Is that your story? How many of you would raise your hands right now and say, over and over and over again, I have prayed to be saved? I, I would say that, I've done that. How many of you would say? Okay. Hopeful says, yes, over and over and over again, I prayed to be saved. 
Christian, and did the father reveal his son to you? Hopeful. What do you think he's going to say? Hopeful. No. Not the first time, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth, nor the sixth time either. Christian, well, what did you do then? Hopeful, what did I do? I didn't know what to do. Christian, did you have any thoughts of giving up praying? Hopeful, yes, at least a hundred times over. Christian, why didn't you give up? Hopeful, I believed what he told me was true. Without Christ's righteousness, all the world could not save me. So I reasoned with myself, if I give up, I die. And I must not die except before Jesus. So Hopeful said, I continued to pray. Let me give you some verses right here. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means to keep Praying until God answers you. Luke chapter 18 verse 1. He taught a parable to his disciples so that men should always pray and not faint. Luke 18 verse 1. Listen to this verse from Lamentations. Lamentations 3 verses 25 and 26. It is good for a man to both hope And quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's right there. It is good for a man to hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. If you will wait and quietly hope. If you will seek, he will be found. That's the story. How many of you, when you heard me read that, felt uncomfortable? Because what did Hopeful do? Hopeful prayed, and then Christian says, did God hear you? And he says, no, not the first or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. I wanted to give up praying a hundred times. How many of you felt uncomfortable? But look at those verses that say, pray without ceasing. Now let me give you one more verse that should settle your discomfort. At least from the questioning whether this is biblical. Daniel chapter 10. I think it's verses 12 and 13. I didn't write it down in my notes. Daniel 10. I think it's verses 12 and 13. Daniel prays. For three weeks. And while he's walking by the river. An angel. Or perhaps Jesus Christ himself. Appears to him. And the angel says to Daniel. From the first day that you prayed. God heard you. How many days was he praying? Three weeks. How many days? 21 days, three weeks, he's praying, and the angel says, from when? From the first day, but 
I was sent to give the answer to you, but a demon called the Prince of Persia stopped me for 21 days. That's in the Bible. A demon stopped the angel who was going to a Christian to give him the answer to his prayer. God heard Daniel on what day? Day number one. And God wanted Daniel to continue praying. Could, da- could God have crushed the prince of Persia and said, Go, I want, I want you to get the answer on day number one. Could God have done that? God did not want Daniel to get the answer on day number He wanted Daniel to fast and pray for three weeks. And then the answer would get there. My own personal story is very similar to this. I grew up in a Christian home. And I can remember, I I was told by my mother that when I was five years old, I came to her and said I wanted to become a Christian. And she said, okay, pray with me. And I prayed. I remember myself when I was seven. One of my earliest memories as a child. I remember at seven years old in my bed at night telling my mom I was afraid of dying without Jesus. And she prayed with me. Now she told me that I prayed when I was five. Now I'm seven and I'm still afraid. Did God hear me at five? And I prayed again and again and again and I was terrified. When I think I was converted, I don't really know, but when I think I was converted, it was about 11 years old. That's the day I remember. I remember suddenly this glory of John 19, verse 30. It is finished. That's the verse. I remember in my parents' bedroom, no one was around, and I was afraid again of my sins, and I called out for God to save me again. And I remember suddenly John 19, 30 coming to me. It is finished. And I felt... It's finished. I don't have anything to do. But I went on wondering and doubting until I was about 14 years old. From 5 to 14, that's 10 years. When did he hear me the first time? So step number six is prayer. Step number seven, you can see it there on the map. It's right at the gate. It's marked faith. Christian asks Hopeful, how was Christ revealed to you? Hopeful says, one day when the sadness of my sin and the ugliness of my sin was before my eyes, suddenly I thought I saw the Lord Jesus looking down from heaven and saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what I felt on that day in 89. Something like that. I replied, but Lord, I am a great, a very great sinner. He answered, my grace is sufficient for you. Then I asked, but Lord, what does it mean to believe? He replied, he who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Then I concluded that believing in Christ and coming to Christ were the same thing. And the one who comes to him is also believing in him. At this, my eyes filled with tears, and I asked, But Lord, may such a great sinner as I be accepted? And I heard him say, 
Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's number seven. That's faith. There's one more step in his conversion. It's on your map there. Number eight, devotion. He says this, Hopeful says, By this time my heart was full of joy. My eyes were filled with tears. My emotions overflowed with love for three things. Listen to what he loves now. Now that he's believed, he loves three things. I love the name, the people, and the laws of Jesus Christ. No one loves laws. Do politicians ever say, you, we want you to vote for us because of our laws? Politicians never say that. They say, vote for me because I'll give you free things. But this king comes to you and says, I come to you as the king. And you can be my citizen if you love my laws. But we have good news. 1 John 5 verse 3, his laws are not difficult if you have a new heart. And then Hopeful says this. I'm sorry, Christian asks Hopeful, what effect did this have on your spirit? Hopeful says, I had never before considered the glorious beauty of Jesus Christ, but I suddenly had a love for a holy life, and I longed to do something for the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you feel that? That is conversion. In your heart, you've got to do something. I want to do something. I want to be baptized. I want to evangelize. I've got to do something for Jesus. If you don't feel that, you aren't converted the way hopefuls converted. And the last line of the chapter is this. Yes, I now felt that if I had a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I could have spilled it all for the sake of Jesus my Lord. That is Hopeful's conversion. That's his testimony. That's the way he came to the Lord Jesus. You can do that. Let me give you a sample testimony. If you have a watch, you can time it. I'll go through all eight steps. Hello, my name is Seth Myers, and I just want to say that <clears throat> when I was young, I went to church, and my pastor preached to me, and my mom read the Bible to me and talked to me. I began to be very afraid of my sin and afraid of going to hell, but I didn't know what to do, and I started praying, but I was afraid of my sin, and I kept thinking, what's going to happen to me? And slowly I learned more by going to church and reading the Bible and having the preacher talk to me, having my mom talk to me. And I learned that Christ died for me. And I remember this one verse, John 19, 30, it is finished. And I thought, if it's finished, then what else is there to do? And I kept praying that God would save me. And suddenly that verse 
just came alive in my mind and I knew he's, he's, he's taken all my sins away. He's done everything he promised to do. And I was filled with love. And even then as a young boy, I thought I've got to do something for him. It was, it was October 29, 1989 that I gave my life to be a missionary. And it was mainly because I was just so filled with love and happiness that I was saved. Thank you. How long is that? Two minutes? Could you do that? If you are a church member, you had to do something like that. I see one, two, three, four, five. And how many others? If you are not a church member, but you want to, can you do that? Can you do what Hopeful did? Let me close with some bad examples. Some bad testimonies. This doesn't work. This is not at all like Hopeful. I've heard every one of these. I'm going to give you three. I've heard each of these in this town. I heard one of these from a pastor in this town. I asked, how did you become a Christian? And a pastor, a white man, in this town told me, I always smoked and drank. But my wife got sick and she was in the hospital. And I was there in the hospital with her when a pastor came in. I don't know who the pastor was. And he prayed for my wife and she was healed the next day. And I thought, ah, God answered that man's prayer. And I became a Christian. I asked him, what about Christ? He said, yes, him too. There was no Christ dying. There was no righteousness of Christ. There was no, I'm a great sinner. There was nothing about hell. There was nothing about being born again. There was no, oh, the love of God. Oh, how he changed me. He gave me a new heart. Nothing. Zero. A bad testimony. As I left that man, my son Colin, who at that time was nine or ten years old, said, that man forgot Christ. When a nine-year-old knows you've missed something. Here's another one. I've heard this. How did you become a Christian? Oh, 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 you don't know my story. Oh, I'm, I'm asking. Tell, tell me your story. Oh, I've had a hard life. My dad left me, and my mom was so poor. We had several brothers and sisters. We were so poor. We were always begging. We could never get by. And then I was praying, oh God, save me. Oh God, save me. And then I got this job. And I'll just tell you, the job changed everything. Now, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, things are still hard, but hey, hey, I got that job. It changed everything. That was it. That, that, that was his, his testimony. Do you think God will accept that? Do you think God is going to open the gates of heaven when he hears that? Your dad was a loser. Your mom was poor. You got a job. What Buddhist or Muslim, what atheist couldn't say that? 
Testimony number three. I've heard this one too many times to count. How did you become a Christian? I asked one man in the park here in Old Town when we were evangelizing a few months ago. How did you become a Christian? He said, oh yeah, I go to church. But how did you become a Christian? Yes, I pray at church. In fact, if you don't speak a Bantu language, Tonga, Venda, Sutu, Kosa, Zulu, Shona, then, then maybe you're not familiar with this, but in the Bantu languages I speak, Venda, Tonga, a little bit of, of uh, Shona, it is common to say on Sunday, Uyagai, Dia Taberoni, where are you going? I'm going to prayer. They use the noun form of prayer. At least the Tsongas do it commonly. I've heard it in Venda too, but maybe not. I don't know how common it is, but I've heard it. In Tsonga, it's very common. I'm going to the noun place of prayer. Not Christ. That vague testimony is not saving and will not take anyone to heaven. So what can a Christian do with this message. If you say, I'm born again, what can I do? I'll tell you, Friday, Friday morning, I was getting ready to prepare, or I was almost done with the message on 2 Kings. And I paused to read that 15th chapter. And it took the next four hours or so for me praying and thinking, I prayed for each of you that is here by name. And many that aren't here. And I prayed for myself and my children. And I was, I was overwhelmed with gratitude for God because He did save me. And I saw at least six of those eight steps. I saw those in my own life, even though I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe seven of the steps that I saw. How many of those steps have you gone through? Or let me change the question, where are you at in the steps? If you are a believer, then take this little chart... Talk to someone about it. Talk to your coworker, your friend, your brother, your sister, your mother, your do- son or daughter. Talk to people about it. Ask them, where do you think you're at on this? Answer for yourself, where are you? Biblical conversion has nothing to do with, well, I got a job. Well, I started going to church. The devil goes to church. I am sure that in every Baptist church in the world, there are demons every Sunday. Don't count them as Christians, and don't count yourself any more than a demon just because you go to a church. Even a church that preaches the Bible. Do you have what Hopeful had? And if you do, and if you're a believer, then talk to someone about it. And be discerning. I have found that some genuine Christians have forgotten the way in which they were converted and so they are quick to count everyone a Christian even if they don't have any of the marks of hopeful. They give one of these foolish testimonies like this, this pastor, yeah, my, the man prayed for my wife. And some people who are truly converted actually count him as a Christian. Don't do it. Be discerning. Be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So where are you in the chart today? Does your heart turn away from any of those steps? Do you say, that's not right, that's not true, that's not good? Or are you willing to testify of your love for Christ today? Let's close in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, we come to you and ask that your spirit would do for us what you did for hopeful. And for many of us, we have been converted in the past. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us again with the full joy and wonder of what you did in saving us. And grant that those who are still outside of Christ would be drawn to pray and beg and plead until they see the Lord Jesus Christ like Hopeful did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.